Welcome to another episode of the albumreview.net podcast. I'm Greg Potters. Thanks to all you peeps out there for all your interaction and feedback. Your feedback is much appreciated and it helps me to always improve. On today's episode, I'm joined by nobody. Yeah, that's that's right. I'll be reviewing the Who's fifth studio album, Who's Next. And although I'm not joined by a guest today, I will see to it that you enjoy this review and never, ever have to ask, What, what would you say you do here? <laughs> I, I take the specs from the customers and I give them to the software people. All right, let's get started. Please enjoy this episode, a review of the Who's classic album from 1971, Who's Next? Released August 14th, 1971, we can, can we just pause here for a second and have a moment of silence for all the albums that came out in the 1970s? God, where did this decade go? I know some of the clothing was hideous, but come on, did a day go by where an amazing earth-shattering rock and roll album did not get released? It's freaking ridiculous. Okay, so anyways, I've been doing the podcast for over two years now, and I've yet to review a Who album. Why? I'm not sure. A a, a Who fan I was, and today a Who fan I continue to be. A really, really, really big Who fan. Yes, I was actually the guy who, I can't believe I'm admitting this. The quote in my senior yearbook was, out of my brain on the train. This quote will forever be written in blood. I could have chosen something like all good things come to those who work hard or the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But no, instead, I chose out of my brain on the train. And for you diehard Who fans, you might know where that's from. This is what I would call the old school version of social media, meaning that it's never going to be erased. Um, At the time, it drew big high fives from fellow Who fans, and from others, it drew some very, 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 very weird stares. I get it, it was kind of dumb, but I can remember how at the time I had to communicate my love for this band and how they changed my life. Yes, people, that's who I was at 18. So back to it. Released on August 14th, 1971, Who's Next was the Who's fifth studio album. 
Recorded over a three-month period, the band would produce the album themselves along with Glyn Johns in London and Hampshire, England. Johns is also well-known for producing albums by The Rolling Stones, The Beatles, Led Zeppelin, The Kinks, Steve Miller Band, The Eagles, The Band, Bob Dylan, Shall I Keep Going? Oh my God, what a list. All right, originally eight of the nine songs from the album were taken from a scrapped rock opera that band member and guitarist Pete Townsend wrote that he called Lifehouse. Prior to this, Townsend wrote and recorded the famous rock opera with his Who bandmates, Tommy, back in May of 1969. And like Tommy, Lifehouse was a fictional story written in the third person of a futuristic time period where people lived in a society where all music was banned and people were forced by the government to stay indoors at all times. Sounds like a, sounds like a good time. In Townsend's mind, it was going to play out like a live performance, another kind of another rock opera, but something a little bit different than what The Who had been writing previously. So The Who booked free weekly concerts at the Young Vic Theater in Lambeth outside of London, where they were to incorporate the audience's participation into the rock opera. This was a, a plan Pete had created to take the band into a somewhat different direction. Well, the performances at the Young Vic Theater did not go as well as Townsend had planned. Audiences regularly showed up cheering for The Who to play songs like My Generation, which is an older, poppier tune, and asking them to smash their instruments the way the band used to do. And this frustrated Pete, so after some careful thinking, he decided to scrap the project. And in unison, producer and friend Glenn Johns had been keeping backup copies of the songs that they had recorded for Lifehouse, and he convinced the band to later re-record the songs to change their feel and kind of distance themselves from the opera-like sound that they were going for on Lifehouse. Band manager Kip Lambert convinced the band to fly to New York and record the songs they'd rewritten for the opera and played live at the Young Vic. Kip Lambert convinced the band to fly to New York and record the songs they'd written for this opera and played live at the Young Vic. So, released on August 14th, 1971, the album cover, I've, I've always wondered this, the album cover portrays a photo taken of the band's four members at a coal mining dump. Dump is a, a word used in the U.S. really for a place where trash, garbage, or waste is taken to be collected and properly, or improperly for that matter, disposed of. And in the U.K., I believe the term slag pile or slag heap is more commonly used. Only this trash pile was made up of waste or residue from coal mining piled up as far as the eye could see. Drummer Keith Moon and bassist John Entwistle came up with the idea for the photo, which was inspired by the Stanley Kubrick film 2001 A Space Odyssey. So in the picture, the band is standing on top of the waste pile in front of a large concrete structure that portrays the result of urine stains on the structure. It's clear in the photo what the band members were just doing before the photo was taken, as you can see them adjusting their pants zippers. Now, the truth behind the story is that it was only Townsend that actually peed on the concrete slab. The photographer came up with the idea to show all four members in kind of that post-pee glee, 
Guys, you know what I'm saying. Therefore, they took rainwater, collected it from an empty film canister, and poured it onto the slab of concrete to create that look and effect that they all had just peed. Interesting, huh? <laughs> One of the eight songs originally planned for Lifehouse, Baba O'Reilly, is the album's opener. I had a conversation recently with fellow musicians and rock and roll addicts about what we all thought were some of the greatest rock songs ever recorded, regardless of taste. Baba O'Reilly certainly came up in that conversation as being on this list, and truth be told, I have difficulty arguing this. Dave Arbus, member of the British prog rock band East of Eden, played violin on Baba O'Reilly. The song refers to two of Townsend's major inspirations at the time, Indian spiritual leader Mayor Baba and the American music composer best known for introducing his style of minimal music, Terry Riley. Where the O came from uh, at the beginning of Riley, I'm not really sure. I'm eager to find that out, but I couldn't really find that. I was surprised to learn that Pete Townsend did not have a deep, deep reasoning for writing the words Teenage Wasteland that is sung throughout this song, for he noted on two occasions during the Who's shows at the Isle of Wight Festival and at Woodstock, he noticed the crowd seemed to be just this never-ending view of a teenage wasteland, referring to the large amounts of trash he saw left after each show, in addition to the amount of LSD use he had witnessed during both shows. I've always wanted to know what Townsend used at the beginning of Baba O'Reilly. It sounds like some sort of funky organ or synth just looped over and over and over again. But then when the piano comes in, watch out, man. 
Then as the bass enters, the song is full in your face and ready to knock you to the ground. That's what it did to me. For the, the intro, Pete Townsend uses an electric organ called a Lowry organ, named after Frederick Lowry, who designed it around 1955. And in the late 1960s and 70s, Lowry organs were the most manufactured electric organs in the world. Townsend used a feature in the organ called a marimba repeat that essentially gives it that looping sound. Joe Walsh gifted Pete a Gretsch 6120 hollow body electric guitar in 1971, which famously became Pete's main guitar during the recording of the Who's Next album. So Who's Next is a rock album. It consists of heavy guitar and drumming that characterizes what bipolar disorder would sound like in the form of percussion, but built with precise timing. I'm talking about Keith Moon. <laughs> The bass playing is clean, John Entwistle, up front and in your ear, not drowned out in the back like a lot of rock albums, and Roger Daltrey's mountaintop Drago like Rocky screams just come in with harmony, so much harmony. In addition to the stripped down rock sound, the synthesizer was used as a vital piece of the overall sound. In addition to his rock god style electric guitar, Pete Townsend also plays acoustic guitar on several songs. Producer Glenn Johns heard the eight songs and he played a large role in convincing the band to re-record the songs and put out really a, a power rock album. The Who trusted Johns to the extent that they essentially gave him permission to place the tracks in the order that he felt was best. And then later, a ninth song was added the only song that was not from the Lifehouse Project, which was bassist John Entwistle's track, My Wife. Entwistle had originally planned My Wife for a later solo album, but was convinced to add it to the Who's Next album instead. Songs like Bargain continues the rock and roll stroll, only it slows down to become more of a love song. Despite the fact it sounds as if Townsend wrote this song about a woman's love, it's actually about finding God, or Mayor Baba for that matter, who Townsend was 
heavily studying and practicing his teachings at the time. Noted that bargain is, quote, simply about losing one's ego as a devotee of Mayor Baba. I constantly try to lose myself and find him. I'm not very successful, I'm afraid, but this song expresses how much of a bargain it would be to lose everything in order to be one with God, end quote. The album continues with rockier, upbeat tracks like Love Ain't For Keepin' and My Wife. Pete's acoustic guitar on top of the rock and roll sound gives Love Ain't For Keepin' a unique sound that is present on many of the songs on this record. start to get slow and heartfelt with the song is over getting in tune and behind blue eyes some amazing tracks session musician nikki hopkins was invited to play piano on the song is over and getting in tune hopkins played live or in the studio for virtually every big rock band through the 60s and 70s i mean the list just goes on uh it includes the rolling stones steve miller band peter frampton Jerry Garcia, John Lennon, Paul McCartney. It just it goes on and on and on and on and on. To telling only lies. But my dreams they are as empty as my conscience seems to be. That's never free No one 
Potters with albumreview.net. Are you looking to start your own podcast? I can save you a ton of time and money by helping you launch, publish, and grow your podcast. So this includes things like finding the equipment, the software, and tips and tricks that are going to be right for you and your budget. Also, if you're looking for things like editors, designers, or you just want to find out what the best platform to use is, that's what I do. So you can find me at albumreview.net or message me directly at gpotters at albumreview.net. Tune might be my favorite track on this album after Baba O'Reilly, but I, I don't know. I just don't feel like there is one, not one dud on this album. And that's what makes it among the very best albums and very much in my hall of fame forever. Minus the track, My Wife, Roger Daltrey's singing is also hall of fame worthy. He's in there, of course, but I had to give him some props while I'm doing this review. Pete wrote the lyrics, a mad, mad scientist he was. Keith Moon had what I would call an organized panic attack all over the drum set. John Entwistle very carefully added his bass lines that in many ways, well, let's just say, let's just say it. It really is the lead instrument in most of the tracks on this album. It's so present. So with all of this, Daltrey's vocals are on top, making you raise your fist in the air and wave them like you just don't care, right? All right, that was bad, I know, but you know you, you know what I mean. The closing track, Won't Get Fooled Again, was written by Pete as a criticism of overwhelming power and rising revolutions. He had mixed feelings about revolutions, although they've done some good almost 100% of the time during a revolution, Pete was saying that people were going to get hurt. Won't Get Fooled Again was also the planned closing track on Lifehouse. Pete's original plan was to play the song during the Lifehouse opera after the main character Bobby is killed and the government is left to fight one-on-one -on -one with the army. After digging into this a little bit more, it was, it was kind of confusing, but I think overall, Pete was just frustrated and he was rebelling against violence, writing, quote, pick up my guitar and play just like yesterday and I'll get on my knees and pray.
Townsend also admitted he wrote the song after playing at Woodstock in 1969. He said in an interview he wanted to jump into the crowd at times and just shake the concert goers. The kids who had all wound up there to spend the weekend listening to music and holding out hope that world peace could really happen, Pete really thought that this was a ridiculous way of thinking and not the reality. And he admits it's a little cynical, but he really backs it up with realistic facts. Won't Get Fooled Again may be most famous for the repeating organ synthesizer sound during the beginning and the end of the song. The Lowry organ is used again, but this time it was connected to a portable analog synthesizer called a VCS-3, which was made by a company called EMS, or Electronic Music Studios. The way Pete created the sound in Won't Get Fooled Again, it, it just bewilders me. I'm not quite sure I understand it, but what I learned was Pete interviewed several people in this random survey asking them health questions. He hooked each person up during this time to a device that doctors use to monitor patients' heartbeats, brain activity, or, or their brain waves. And when he was finished, he converted these heartbeat and brain waves into a series of audio pulses. <laughs> Are you guys following me so far? So apparently he then took the Lowry organ and the VCS-3 and hooked them up to the audio pulses. The Lowry organ and the VCS-3 played the pulses back and were later modified into what was called input signals. This is what you hear in the song and at the end, it's mixed with the bass, drums, a heavy power chord from Pete's Gretsch guitar, and Daltrey's ever so famous scream. The scream will go down in the history books as probably the greatest scream on a rock album. The song has been performed as a main part of the band's set list since 1971, even up until present day, often as the set closer. Won't Get Fooled Again was also the last song that drummer Keith Moon played live before he died in 1978. I can remember exactly, and I mean exactly where I was when I first heard this album. The first track, Baba O'Reilly, came on my buddy Zach's 
you guys know Zach. I've had him on the podcast a few times. It came on his car stereo in his white Toyota Camry. It was like an 86 or an 87 Camry. Zach's face was filled with delight as he watched me lose my mind as we drove up Cliff Road on the way back to my house. And I'm listening to this song for the first time. I'll never forget it. And this album is one that you will also never forget once you've heard it. I'll have to review Quadrophenia at some point in the future, but in terms of a non-concept album, straight and narrow, right in your face rock album, this one is up there, way up there, way, way up there. <laughs> so like Tommy said to Johnny in Karate Kid, take a right, check it out. Take a right, check it out. Check out the who's, who's next Get it now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks for listening to the albumreview.net podcast and today's episode, an album review of the Who's 1971 classic, Who's Next. If you're interested in any of the albums or books that I've discussed in this episode or previous episodes, go to albumreview.net and pick up a copy of your own. Listen to all my podcast album reviews at albumreview.net by clicking on the podcast tab. They can also be heard wherever podcasts are available. Please follow the show on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes. Also, if you guys would be so kind as to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, that helps move the needle and get the word out there. Also, I do want to hear from you. I want to hear from everybody. So please email me your feedback, album review requests, nailed it, and any other questions that you might have to gpotters at albumreview.net. That's G-P-O-T-T-E-R-S at albumreview.net. If you'd like to get regular updates on reviews, interviews, product, and music news, go to the homepage and join the mailing list. You will not be disappointed. Visit our YouTube page and stay tuned for updates on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can find me there at album review net hey guys oh big gulps huh all right well see you later <laughs> thanks again folks until next time down by the highway take a trip down by the highway take a trip down by the highway take a trip